Everybody, welcome to Bash U Live. Little big shout out to Drew Benton, uh, winner at Lake Murray, uh, giving you guys a little uh, sneak peek into Drew's uh, seminar for Bash U, how to become a well-rounded angler. He spoke with us this year at our Bash U classes, and we were thrilled to have him. And uh, as as seems to be our gift, Jocelyn, we seem to pick the guys uh, that go out and win tournaments. Riz, you might have something to do with that. Just getting lucky. You know? <laughs> no, it, I mean, you know, Drew and Drew and Drew actually both had really good tournaments. Um, Drew Benton won the won the event, obviously, and Drew Cook top ten did as well. Um, more than half of the top ten uh, in this week's Elite Series event were Bash University instructors, and we got two out of the three guys leading the MLF heavy hitters right now as Bash TV instructors. Brian Thrift and Ryan Salzman, both in the top three in the MLF heavy hitters right now. You can find them on Bash U. There's a, there's a, there's, you know, there's some reason to what we rhyme at Bash University. You know, we're, we're trying to hire guys and work with guys that are, that are constantly pushing the envelope in the, in the game of bass fishing forward. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to provide the, the best quality information that we can get. And to get that, you got to talk to the guys that are the best in the world. So, mm -hmm. and that's, that's and it's amazing that they do it, uh, the way that they do it. It's available right now at your fingertips. The way that these guys are winning is over at bashu.tv. And right now, if you haven't subscribed, get over to bashu.tv, get signed up. Uh, we, we're doing a three month subscription, which is awesome. A lot of guys love that. Uh, you can sign up for three months for $35 and we give you a $25 tackle direct coupon. We are talking to you from tackle direct studios right now. And, uh, we're glad to have you guys with us and I'm excited about our guest today. Uh, speaking of heavy hitters, the big fish tournament at the MLF, we're talking about big fish with the man, Ken Duke and the, at, from the big bad, big bass podcast as, and has been on bass university many, many times. And uh, we're very excited to have him on the show talking about uh, the biggest bass on the planet. Speaking uh, of this weekend, I think I saw the biggest bass I've ever seen at weigh-in. <laughs> they were huge. Lake, Lake Murray. Oh, my goodness. Was out of control with giant they, fish. They would just hold them up and I, my eyes would just go, whoa, I don't think I've ever seen a fish that big. And everybody had them. And everyone had them. It everyone. It was amazing. I think day one, they had 20 bags over 20 pounds, or I'm sorry, 16 bags that were 20 pounds or bigger. Yep. Uh, they had several 26-pound stringers weighed in. Uh, and everyone amazing. wanted to weigh their biggest fish, I yeah. guess, because they do like a big fish, at, like I guess the lunker. Sure. And everyone was weighing them because they were catching them. They, they were huge. They were. Uh, and it was interesting, you know, because they were doing them so many different ways. Uh, Drew won uh, sight fishing and doing some other things. A lot of guys were co concentrating on the blueback herring spawn, which was a lot of fun to to watch that tournament. And um, and of course, they're at Santee Cooper. Uh, it's just going to be another big fish fest, I think, for South Carolina. Uh, Santee Cooper's known for for giants too. Do they so, have herring as well? I don't think they do. I, I know a lot of guys were not happy about fishing with herring. They kept on the stage. They didn't like it. They, they didn't like fishing that way. They were complaining about they were. that. Because it's you know why it's I, I the 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 most common complaint is that they're very very difficult to pattern because the the herring roam mm. they just roam and they wherever the herring go the bass go with them so you can't depend on them to show up where they were this morning or yesterday 
Uh, so I think the best was Matt Heron didn't like fishing <laughs> Heron. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Well, they're they're tricky. I'm I will be. Uh, anybody going to the Bass Open on Kerr Reservoir? I will be there uh, fishing for Bass University. Right. Any any co anglers out there? Uh, there may be, and I'm looking for a Bass U subscriber that may want to come and spend a few practice days with me on uh, on Kerr Reservoir. I've got a I've got a few days open. There's a golden opportunity there, but I can't I can't wait. We're going to be fishing bluebacks on Kerr Reservoir. It's the furthest north uh, that I fish for you know, that pattern. So I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm excited about it. Uh, the, the, the water levels fluctuating on Kerr and, uh, uh, can't, I haven't been there for a long time. So I'm really looking forward to getting to that one. So 301.95 right now, 301.95 it's dropping, it's dropping a little bit 0.02 every day. The, yeah. uh, the New Jersey Bass Nation guys are there this week. They have their three day, uh, qualifier tournament for the state team. Mm -hmm. um so they're there and uh sounds like they're doing what they should be doing okay you know, the water's in the bushes water's so. in the bushes but it's coming out it's coming out it's uh, leaving. that's all that that that, may, that can make that pattern disappear you know what the, where yep. they will be pete they'll be where you find them <laughs> we kept saying that on sunday yes rich <laughs> and i fished this weekend i want to give a another shout out to the susquehanna tournament trail uh that was down on the upper Chesapeake. Rich and I participated in it. We took a fifth place check finish, which we pulled out of our, you know what, it's seemingly at the end of the day, yeah. which was cool. We yeah. scrambled. It's not easy right now. Our fish are caught between the pre-spawn and the spawn and still feeding in the feeding on herring. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> they're feeding on those confounded herring. And, uh, and, but we, we did good. We caught them early. We caught them late. And uh, I was pleased with that day, Rich. Yeah, me too. It's it's still tricky out there. It's definitely still tricky, but it's it's happening. They're they're coming to where we want them to be. And next week we got a nice warming trend, and it's on a full moon, so yeah. they should keep on keep on keeping on. But yeah, yeah. fun fun tournament, and uh, it was cool because we both kind of like we both did our deal for like the first half of the day. You kind of you just let me go and fish in the grass and just just get out there and chuck and wind and, and Rich is a killer of, in the grass, guys. By the way, the, the second half of the day we we ran your program. You know some of the you know uh, some harder cover type of stuff. Went up and fished for some smallmouth. In between the two, we we put it all put it all together. Put a and, nice bag and, together. Yeah, and, and made it work. So you know anytime that you're anytime that you're competitive down there, I say it all the time. It's like it is hard to win on on the bay where we fish because so oftentimes you get to that mark of you get to that 18 and a half 19 pound mark and you know it's going to take 22 23 to win and you're one bite away you're one bite away when you get to that point and uh you're fishing against killers every weekend so to come in and you know as long as you're knocking on the door and you're close you know eventually the door opens and we were there. We were right where we needed to be. So. We we were and uh, a big uh, congrats to to Justin, uh, our Justin the intern who finished in fourth place. You had a third mm -hmm. 
and a fourth on Friday. Uh, wow. So we down there. So just, just all bash you and everybody that we saw way in had bash. You had to love that stuff. Appreciate you guys all being part of the program. Yeah. I know Mike Centaur was down there. Congratulations to him. I think they had a second place. Yeah. Uh, Dave Wilder had a nice finish and, uh, and very, very upset for the guys that won that tournament. Uh, very upsetting to me because we, Rich and I, watched them win about 200 <laughs> yards away from us, and uh, they found the sweet spot that we just couldn't get to, couldn't get. But they found it, and we watched them uh, do the damage. And that that's one of the problems uh, when you're fishing out on that open water grass flats like that. Man, you can miss it by just Good. this much. You could be 25 yards mm. away, and you might as well be 25 miles. It's, it's, exactly. <laughs> You know, you got to you got to find them. They are where you find them. And speaking of our guys that were that were down there uh, on the bay, we saw a lot of Bashu hats. That's that's cool. Um, we're not going to make this an all Chesapeake Bay show. Don't worry. But we're going to talk about it a little bit. Um, uh, our, our subscriber shout out this week is DS Bass Guide. Um, he spent that, some Bass. time this weekend uh, down on the bay with our guy, Justin. Um, and uh, he wrangled up, you know, enough fish to to come in fourth place, like we said, on, on, on Friday and shout out to DS bass guide. Keep rocking that bass university hat and those Hobie eyewear sunglasses looking good. I also want to chime in and give a shout out to our subscriber, Dan Allen. He came in second place this past weekend. And he also won the big bass at the, at the weight of seven, four, six. Wow. Where was he? I don't know. Dan, that's where a, were you? That's a big <laughs> I'm one. guessing Texas. We want to see a picture of that, dude. Yeah. I, I send in, show us your pictures. We want to showcase you. So send them on, send, send them, them our way, send them in pics, videos. You want to be part of the Bashy live show. We, we'd love to bring you into the show. Uh, send us your fish pics. Uh, we love that stuff. Congratulations, awesome. Mr. Allen. Well, well done. Seven pounder. That's a giant bass. And we're going to be talking about giant bass today uh, with Mr. Ken Duke from the big bass podcast. We're going to be, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. There's so many interesting and fascinating and controversial stories about all the big bass that have been caught in the world um so far so looking forward to that if you're watching us over on social like and share the feed we've got a great uh prize pack for you and pay attention to what we're talking about with mr duke because we're going to be having a, a great question uh at the end of the show where we're going to be giving away a grand prize yes uh, what are our prizes today Josh? today we have for our like and share of course our lovely sponsor waterwood custom baits they have amazing baits and i we want to get them in your hands so go head over to facebook and like and share and also since it is april and i found that april is national frog month i'm decided to do a grand prize of a variety of frogs we have some frogs have on some the froggies. table that's awesome <laughs> so we got some spro frogs some river to seas good stuff right there yeah I, these are some ishamas frogs it looks like and, and there's uh, spro as well and uh yes yes i'm i'll be uh rooming with uh ish down at the open this week so look forward to that be a blast from the past we haven't roomed together for a while so uh Ishama. <laughs> Ish, Ish is one of our most prolific instructors at Bash University, has been with us from the start. So really going to be fun uh, to be hanging out with him this upcoming week. And I'll be uh, taking some pics and vids and showing you guys that. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to be right back. We're going to be talking about giant bass. One more thing, Pete. I got asked on the message board if the Waterwood uh, custom crankbaits made an appearance for us this weekend on the bay. And the answer to that is 
is yes, the Delta Brava Sierra Deep, the Delta Bra Brava Sierra Deep One. Say uh, three more times. Delta Bravo <laughs> Sierra Deep One crankbait. Um, it it put some fish in the boat. Uh, we actually got some video content of that. We're going to be putting out here soon. Um, awesome little crankbaits, man. If you haven't checked them out at WaterwoodCustomCrankbaits.com, go over and check them out. They're and like awesome. and share. Yep. You might get one. Yep. Like and share. <laughs> like and share. We'll, we'll be right back with Mr. Ken Duke right after this. What's going on? It's Riz here from the Bash University, and I am excited to welcome in Waterwood Custom Baits to the Bashu family. These are custom handmade baits in the South Rainforest of Brazil. They're made of Marupa Pedra wood. It's extremely dense. It's resistant, but it's also really buoyant. They're made of quality components with a 100% guarantee. They're made for tournament anglers to get it done when the money is on the line. Guys, that was like my second cast with this bait. That's a Waterwood custom bait. These things are handmade in the rainforest south of Brazil. And I mean, as you can see right here, it's a fish catching bait. It's got the front hook. That means they wanted it. This bait's, uh, it, it's running really true. It throws really well. Guys, check them out at waterwoodcustombaits.com. underwater viewing technology. Find what you are looking for. Catch more fish. Have more fun. Aquaview. Seeing is believing. Why do you love catching fish and rods? I'm truly losing less fish. Is the sensitivity of the rod. That are made right here in North Carolina in the USA. Strongest, lightest rod. 100% made here in Sanford, North Carolina. From the drop shot rod to the flipping stick. Every rod has a purpose to it, and I rely on them all the time when I'm out during a tournament. Durability in the John Cruz Worming Series, the counterbalancing in the handle. It's the only rod i found that can withstand my hook set. Boom goes the dynamite. On the water, not spent fishing is a moment wasted. That's why Minkota and Humminbird have joined forces to bring you the One Boat Network. Products that communicate and integrate to help you take full command of your boat. Born from our commitment to making the most advanced fishing gear even better by making it work together. The One Boat Network will help you find, get to, stay on, and catch more fish. When One Boat Network products talk to each other, they can navigate your boat automatically. They can give you a crystal clear view of what's below with no messy wires. And they can let you lower, raise, and change shallow water anchor modes from anywhere on the boat. But that's just the beginning. We're never done innovating, integrating, and making your boat simpler and easier to control. All so you can make every second on the water count. 
Welcome back, everybody. Uh, glad to have you with us. It's going to be a great show today. We're talking about big bass. It's what everybody, everybody loves that, you know? I mean, no matter from when you started fishing as a kid or your tournament guy, whatever it is, when you catch that fish of a lifetime, the biggest, your personal best, uh, it, it's a thrill like no other. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what makes it special. And there's, uh, there's a guy out there that has taken this on. Well, actually two, two of friends of the show, um, and, uh, Ken Duke and Terry Batisti have taken on the biggest bass on the planet, big fish stories, and they've created this great fun and interesting, uh, podcast called the big bass podcast guys. I want you to go over and, uh, and check it out, go over to YouTube and subscribe and uh, and listening to uh, listening to their stories, but right now he's going to be. Uh, we have him on our show, and we're going to be uh, we're going to be diving in a little bit about how that's going, and uh, and and talking some big fish stories right here. And we're really glad to have him with us, friend, friend great friend of ours, Mister Ken Duke. How are you doing, buddy? Oh, Pete, uh, I'm doing great, and thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. Um, technical difficulties, Ken. Hold uh -oh. on, I'm going to re I'm going to reintroduce you. <laughs> okay. Everybody at home probably heard you, but not here in our office because we're ah. good at fishing, but we're still not very good at production. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> we're glad to have you with us. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you all so much for having me on the show. Uh, always love being part of, of the Bass U, and uh, just. What, what an amazing show you have. What an amazing website you have. Just uh, fabulous resources. Nobody does it better. Well, I pr I pr except for our audio, we still struggle in that, <laughs> in that regard at times. <laughs> uh, technical difficulties. I, I have no idea what that must be like. Uh, yeah, we have... <laughs> We have more than our share of technical difficulties at the Big Bass Podcast, too, but we, we struggle through and we're having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it's, uh, that, that's right. When you're doing the podcast, it's always, uh, you know, of course, you guys aren't live, so you don't have the, no. the pleasure of having these difficulties in front of people. So you get to hide them a little bit better. Oh, you're absolutely right about that. I'm not sure we're ready for live. I'm not sure the audience is ready for us live. Um, <laughs> you know, on on Bass U, uh, you, you've had to deal with my tirades before, Pete, so uh, you know how bad I can be live. Oh, hey, I'm alive now, aren't I? Uh-oh. I'm going to watch myself. I'm going to watch myself here. Oh, well, I, I tell you, the early days, I still, it's like you, there is no technical difficulty that is that that, that can stump me these days, I think. Even falling in the water live on, on Fox doesn't <laughs> seem to stump me. Uh, after the early days of Ike Live when uh, when nothing worked, absolutely nothing worked. So uh, everything can be overcome. Well, and, and you know what? But the thing about the thing about you on Ike Live and the thing about the Bass University and all is that, that if there are technical difficulties, you guys were always worth the wait. You know, and, and, and not every show can say that. Well, well, we, we appreciate that. And, uh, and congratulations on the big bass podcast. This is great. It's been, uh, what's it just a, a couple months now that you guys have been going and it's, it's really, uh, it's fun. It's entertaining and it's taken off. Well, I, I appreciate the kind words very much. Yeah. We started in January. We just cracked a thousand YouTube members uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, and we're actually more popular on some of the other platforms. You know, the Big Bass Podcast is available, uh, as they like to say, wherever you get your podcasts. And um, 
uh, we're out there and we're actually doing better on some of the audio only formats, probably because of the way I look. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, we're it's, it's a good time. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because we have uh, a, a great audio participation as well. And uh, and and a lot of people love to do that, I guess. I think that's just because of the nature of, uh, you know, people are working. They want to listen in and uh, they're, they're doing it through the, the audio format uh, quite a lot. So it's great to see that you have that traction, too. Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, I think it boils down to if you're going to be thinking about fishing, uh, you'd like to be tying knots or organizing gear or, or mm -hmm. sitting in your boat or something rather than staring at me and Terry Battisti <laughs> talking about big fish. So it makes a lot of sense to me that, that audio is more popular than the, the video channels. But we, we want to offer both. It, I, I have lost my mind. I think I'm, I'm, I have a problem because I, while fishing, I listen fishing so i'm listening to the live broadcasts i'm, I'm listening to pod I'm, I'm listening to while fishing i still have to be listening about fishing i think i have an issue oh, oh pete there there's no question that you have an issue and i'm sure it's <laughs> very hard to pronounce whatever it is your issue is but it's, it's a very highly sophisticated psychological term and i think uh, i think Riz has it too i'm not sure about jocelyn but i think that uh, i do not Riz, yeah jocelyn has been spared yet yeah. <laughs> but, but the good news is, and I think you and Riz will appreciate this, Pete, is that when, with regard to your, your fishing problem, the poison is the cure. Yes. Uh, I like that. I like, I, I like that a lot. And, uh, and we, we, were, we were busy fishing this weekend, and uh, we, we had a blast, but we, we didn't really catch the big fish that we were looking for. And, uh, and that's what we were, we had, we did have a seven pounder weighed in during our tournament and, and this is what you've dove into. And it's, it's been a thrill to listen to, uh, and now you and I have talked about some of these stuff over the years before the podcast yeah. had come around, but there, the, the big, there's a lot of controversy, so much oh. more controversy oh. than I ever could dream of around these yeah. big giant fish. And, and to me, that's part of the fun, mm. you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword. I think Pete, you know, on the one hand, the controversy is awful because I, I really, I truly believe that the, the fastest, easiest way to be called a liar, a cheat and a scoundrel in our world is to catch a giant fish. <laughs> People just want to assume that if they didn't do it, it must be somehow fraudulent. Right. Uh, on the other hand, a lot of these scandals and frauds and and uh, pranks and April Fool's jokes and things like this are just wildly entertaining. And and we've had so much fun. You know, we've done the story of, of Junior Samples, the old guy from Hee Haw, and, and a, a, a joke of a world record bass that he reported back in 1967. And uh, other April Fool's jokes from Sporting Classics magazine in the late 90s. And then, of course, you got a lot of stories that, that we're going to dive into where the catch just wasn't made at all. Or the, the weight of the fish was totally fabricated. Or the circumstances of the catch were exaggerated. Or there are questions about where the catch was made. Was it on one side of a state line or the other side of a state line? And all oh, this comes yeah. into play and becomes a really big deal for the the record keeping authorities and for the angler and 
and we want to tell the stories too that that otherwise might never get told on a on a platform that people would would find so we're having a blast with it what is the official world record largemouth bass well, a great question, Pete. Depends on who you ask, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> I would say that the foremost keeper of world records right now in the in the in the freshwater and especially in the saltwater world, but but also the freshwater world, is the International Game Fish Association. Their headquarters is not far from me, about three hours from me, in Dania Beach, Florida, and they say that the world record is a tie between Manabu Karita's twenty-two pound. 4.97 ounce largemouth bass from Japan's Lake Biwa in 2009 and the 22 pound 4 ounce bass that George Perry reportedly caught in 1932 in an oxbow lake in Georgia. So it's a tie between Karita and Perry. All right. Mr. Duke, what is the world record bass? You what tell me. Well, if you're asking me, if you're making me you. <laughs> the ultimate arbiter, it's Manabu Karita. Okay. Um, Why? Karita, uh, a few reasons. One is Karita jumped through every imaginable hoop you could jump through to get his fish certified. He even took polygraph tests, though no one was insisting upon that. Uh, he had what, what IGFA officials at the time, this would have been 2009, early 2010, what IGFA officials told me at the time was the cleanest record application they had ever seen. And they have wow. thousands and thousands of them. Karina's uh, fish weighed 22, 4.97. So a sh just the tiniest shade, a drop of water, less than 22.5. The reason IGFA calls it a tie with Perry at almost a full ounce less is because IGFA has this regulation. They say to break a world record, any record less than 25 pounds, you got to beat it by two ounces. That's just their arbitrary standard. Um, Carita's fish was an ounce heavier than Perry's fish. And then there's also the fact, and, and it's a, it plays big in my mind, uh, I am convinced that Perry's fish is, is, and was a fraud and that, that he did not catch such a fish in 1932. I have, I have heard that rumor, uh, about that fish. That is bold. It's a f absolute fraud. That's, uh, what I believe so. and I believe I can prove it to prove it. Well, give give us, give us the deets on that. Why is that a fraud? Uh, it's a, fr well, there's a lot of a lot of circumstances around that catch which lead me to believe it's a fraud. First of all, a lot of people want to tell you that uh, that there are pictures of that fish. There ain't no pictures of that fish. Nobody can definitively say that that either of the two photos, which which people like to suddenly come out of the woodwork and claim is that fish, uh, that's a decision they reached months or years after those photos surfaced. One, I believe, is is totally photoshopped. I don't, I'm sorry I didn't, I wasn't prepared. I don't have that to show your, your audience here. But one is totally fabricated. It's a picture of, of Perry kneeling down and, and holding this giant fish. A, I don't think it's Perry. I believe his, his face has been photoshopped into the image. Holy B, I smoke. think the size of the fish, fish has been fabricated. Uh, nobody's <laughs> ever claimed uh, until, you know, the last 10 years or so, 
12, 15 years maybe, uh, has anybody claimed any of these pictures were Perry's fish? The other is a picture of a big fish. Who knows how much it might have weighed, but everybody agrees Perry ain't in the picture. So why they want to claim it's him, I think that's a, a massive stretch. Uh, I, I did prepare one thing, though. As a, I, I, thought, I thought something might come up about this, so I have this. This is a picture of George Perry in 1934. This is a picture that Perry sent to Creek Chubb Bait Company in Garrett, Indiana in 1934. That's Perry's handwriting on the back. This picture I got from the Creek Chub Bait Company about, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago. Um, now, here's what I want you to know about this picture. When I got this picture, I said, I wonder what that tackle box is. So I, I contacted some buddies of mine who are really into the antique gear stuff, and they said, oh, it's a Kennedy model this. They recognized it from the hardware and, and the dimensions and so forth. So I got one on eBay. I think I paid like 10 bucks for it, and it's in the garage. Um, and by the way, you, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was You got that, what, to, to measure the proportions to try to estimate the size of the fish? Yeah. Now, this fish is not Perry's world record. This is the fish that Perry entered in the Field and Stream Big Fish Contest two years after his world record. This is 1934. He claimed this fish weighed 13 pounds, 14 ounces. The first thing I want to tell you is Perry is, Perry is kneeling, I think, well back from the fish. At least from what I can gauge by looking at it. The other thing I want to tell you is that tackle box measures measures less than 22 inches across. So he's telling us that a fish that probably measures about 18 inches weighed 13 pounds, 14 ounces. And that's what I, I, I that's what I call a lie. It's a lie, Pete. <laughs> There's no way. That fish might weigh three pounds. It might weigh three and a half, but it ain't weighing 13 pounds. I don't know. So, I don't know. If I, I don't know if I can buy into this. I have seen Ike and Ellie catch 18-inch bass that he's called 13 pounds before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen Ike and Ellie catch giants that wouldn't that, that weren't long enough to go to the scales. But, <laughs> but that's Mike. We don't, and that's why that's why Mike is not the official keeper of world records. Uh, <laughs> That's, That's why we leave probably, it to the IGFA. He's probably not the man for that job. I agree. <laughs> probably not. Much as much as I love Mike Iaconelli, now I, I want him. I want him. You know, calling my fish giants. That'd be great. But. If he's in charge of the overall records, I don't think that's going to be good for us. So anyway, that's that's a big factor to me. That photo, to me, proves that Perry was fraudulent about his 1934 catch, which won the, the Field and Stream Big Fish Contest. He also won the Field and Stream Big Fish Contest in 1932. I'll tell you another thing that that uh, grinds my gears, Pete Glusen. Uh and, and we're going to go into this in, a, in what I believe is going to be either a four or five part series on the Big Bass podcast coming up in June on the anniversary of Perry's Catch. But another thing that really bothers me is that uh, Perry's fish caught in Georgia weighed 22 pounds, 4 ounces. The next biggest fish in Georgia history weighed more than 4 pounds less. Mm. Show me another state with a 4-pound gap between number one and number two. 
Yeah, that's that. It's an anomaly. It's too it, much of an anomaly. It doesn't. It doesn't happen. It hasn't happened. It doesn't happen. Perry was a fraud. <laughs> I'm calling. I'm calling you out right now, George. Perry was a fraud. Uh, Mr. Perry, George is no longer with us. He could. He could haunt you. Yeah, poor George. Uh, can <laughs> George George does haunt me, but not as much as I'm going to haunt him. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did he get uh, certified? Like, did did it? Did he take it to a scale? Did uh, how, how was that fish certified? Ah, again, it depends on who you ask, Pete Glusick. Uh, oh, wow. There, there are multiple stories out there. One is that you know he caught this fish on June second, nineteen thirty-two. It was a Thursday, by the way, and he took it to either the post office or to a general store in Helena, Georgia. So uh, the story changes. The story, there's just too much up for grabs on this story. And and Mr. Perry died in a plane crash. He was, he was a pilot, and he operated a small uh, airport in Brunswick, Georgia. And uh, he was returning a plane to its owner in Birmingham, Alabama, when he crashed in... Uh, early 1974 well that's just uh that's that's a terrible terrible accident terrible way to go of course jocelyn knows i'm scared to death to fly so i yeah. appreciate oh, yeah. you telling me more plane crash stories uh on <laughs> well, the show Ken. unless unless you want to fraudulently claim a world record i think you're safe <laughs> <laughs> fraudulently just well let me ask you this what the, we're bash university how how were these two giant fish caught? Okay, uh, Perry claimed that he caught his fish on a uh, creek chub fintail shiner. Uh, I don't have a fintail shiner here within arm's reach, but I have a fairly similar lure from the same era. This is a creek chub pikey minnow. This was the most popular plug of its day. Um. And the fintail shiner was, was somewhat similar uh, and, and of the same era. As a matter of fact, a bait very much like this caught the world record uh, before Perry, which was a fish uh, that weighed 20 pounds, 2 ounces, and caught by Fritz Friebel in a, a small lake in Florida near Tampa. Um, so Perry caught his fish, allegedly, not really, on a fintail shiner. <laughs> Then in 2009, uh, Manabu Kurita uh, caught his legitimate world record fish on a, a panfish, basically a bluegill, out of Lake Biwa in Japan, which I believe is the largest lake in Japan. And uh, it's about the size of Toledo Bend. It's about 180,000 acres. So to give live you a frame of reference. Or live lining a bluegill? He was live lining a bluegill? Yeah. Yeah. And, and what was interesting about Kurita's well, many things obviously are interesting about Karita's catch, but one of the things that always fascinated me about it was he claims that he saw multiple fish in that area feeding on bluegill and so forth, and that he caught the smallest one that weighed 22.5. Oh, my gosh. And, and, yeah, and at the time he said, eh, you know, if, if it's not certified as a record, that's okay. I'll catch a bigger one next week. Of course, he never did, but... Uh, but that's that's how he caught it. Well, that, that now isn't that that's illegal in some states to be fishing with uh, a game fish for another game fish. Yeah. And, you know, that comes up most notably in California 
back in the day, say from 1970 to the early 2000s, when they were feeding these bass trout, you know, they had this put and take trout fishery going on across much of the state where they were dumping stalker rainbows in a lot of the lakes. But, and, and you know, if a guy had been able to fish with trout back then legally, who knows how many times the record might've been broken. Or if guys had forward facing sonar back then, who knows how many times uh, the record might've been broken. But um, uh, trout were illegal because as you say, they're a game fish and most states don't allow that. But a lot of states will allow you to use a bluegill. Um, and just about every state would allow you to use a crawdad or something like that, or a shad or a herring. Um, it's just that most of the lakes where most of the lakes that have herring probably don't have a shot at a world record, uh, probably a state record, but not a world record maybe. Uh, but yeah, it's, there's just a lot of rules and regulations out there. Ken, you have a lot of people on the message board that, that agree with you that George is a fraud. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Perry's fish was stuffed with a small cement garden gnome by BK. That's, <laughs> That's a great one. I like that one. Except I don't think Perry's fish either existed or that it weighed anything in the neighborhood of 22 pounds, 4 ounces. Yeah. I sense a little bias on your opinions in this matter, Ken. <laughs> well, it, it is, but you know, it... Uh, Pete, I'd like to, I'm going to, I'm going to pat myself on the back and say that, uh, when I first heard about this fish, I was 11 years old. Uh, I'm reading Bassmaster magazine. And I'm fascinated by it. Just fascinated and thinking, you know, wow, what must it be like to catch a fish like that? And I have spent thousands of hours and years of my life researching that catch and, and trying to learn more about it. And the more I dig into it, the more convinced I am that uh, that it's not legitimate. Now, that did not start out as a bias. That started out of me simply wanting to know more about it and me trying to look at the facts and the evidence that was available to me. Now, has it, has it gone and, and crossed the line so that now I'm, I'm convinced that, that the Perry fish is, is not legit? Yeah, it has. I'm, it's going to be very hard to move me back to the innocent days of 11 years old reading about the fish for the first time, but I think I've got uh, outstanding reasons for the conclusions I've reached. Yeah, you're not the only one. I'm, I'm looking, and ESPN did an article. They did an investigative report. There's so many people that are investigating this. Well, what, what ESPN knows about bass fishing, except for <laughs> the short period of time when they owned BASS, and, and they had staffers like myself there, but what ESPN knows about bass fishing would fit into a thimble and still leave room for my thumb, okay? <laughs> Don't sugarcoat your opinions to us. That's Dad. my problem. Pete. As really. you know, I'm, I'm so guarded <laughs> in my opinions. And nobody ever really knows what I think. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Is a world, a bigger world record, is, is it swimming around? somewhere right now i believe so yeah but and but where, you know where is ah well obviously if i knew that pete I'd, I'd be there now not stuck in my dungeon of an office <laughs> uh i i think it's it's i think it's probably in japan i think it's probably in lake biwa that it's unlikely that karita caught the biggest fish in that lake I mean, what are the odds of that you know it's, right. it's one thing to say a guy in california in a 150 acre lake 
like a lot of those small lakes that have produced giant fish are. For example, Dixon, which produced Dottie, is like 70 or 75 acres. It's one thing to say you caught the biggest fish in that lake, but quite another to say you caught the biggest fish in Toledo Bend or Biwa. You know, what are right. the odds of that? They're, they're infinitesimal. Uh, so yeah, I believe there's a world record in Biwa. I did an article for a, a magazine a few years ago and uh, it was for Game and Fish West magazine, which covers obviously the Western United States, including California. And one of the things I wanted to get into was, um, is there a world record bass in California now? And I talked to three different biologists, three different bass biologists in California with the uh, California Department of Fish and Game. And every one of them told me, no, there is not a world record in California now. And that shocked me. Um, but then they explained to me that these the, the rainbow trout stocking programs that had gone on for so many decades are we're talking over. they're over. They're they're discontinued. It's it's a bad political climate for it. It's a bad economic climate for it. You know, it's expensive. A, it's expensive to do that. Even though some people do like to go out there and catch those put and take rainbow trout. B they're an invasive species in a sense. Most of these trout don't, a lot of these trout don't hold over from one year to the next. And so um, it, it's, it's politically unpopular for that reason. Uh, but there are still a few, there are still a few small lakes in California and a lot of, mostly at small lakes, the Delta and Clear are, are radical exceptions there. Most of these lakes are, are anywhere from 50 to a couple hundred acres. There are some small lakes which are still getting trout. And if you were to ask my podcasting partner, Dr. Batisti, uh, my, and my other podcasting partner, by the way, is Nathan Benson, who does a fabulous job on our productions. But if you were to ask Batisti, who is a California native, uh, he would tell you that, that there is a world record in California and that uh, guys are chasing it, but they're keeping their mouths shut until they, they have it in the boat. Interesting. Yeah, I'd heard that uh, the the trout stocking that, that was uh, a major factor in limiting uh, the, the 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 fish out there. They were growing them so big for so long. Uh, the, here's my question. Well, we have um, climate change happening. Um, you know, as things seem to be warming. Um, how do you have you guys thought about how 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 that may affect uh, world records? as the years go by, as, as things get warmer, is that a good thing or a bad thing for a world record to be broken? Wow, Pete, I, I'm not smart enough to answer your question here, but, <laughs> uh, I'll take a stab and say that, uh, and say that climate change is, is more likely to impact the world record chase by impacting things like engines and technology than it is by, actual water temperatures and air temperatures. Um, I think that uh, changing water and air temperatures are likely to have a, a very negligible effect, at least in my lifetime and probably in, in the lifetime of, of everyone watching this. Um, unless you're a very young person, I'm skeptical that climate change is going to impact uh, the growth of or change or, or pursuit of world record bass 
Interesting. Yeah, I, I think about you're right. I, I, I agree with you there as far as it's, you know, how quick it's going to affect things. But I just think about that. I see, you know, New York State broke their smallmouth record. Uh, we're seeing yeah. we're seeing some records falling. I was going to say, what about the impact it has on their habitat and how that could flow? You know, like like you're saying in New York, like I don't know if if that's you know is is there an emergence of vegetation that's staying around longer because of the climate changes? Like, is it is it changing that? Talking. Is it changing the layouts of, of the lake because, you know, they're not experiencing these harsh winters like they may have? And that could go one of two ways. Like, you know, I, I know a lot of those northern fisheries are really good because they have those hard winters where they get iced over and the fish can't get accessed by a large majority of people. And it kind of gives them a break where if we start seeing climate changes that that doesn't, you know, where we stop seeing as much ice on lakes and things of that nature, um, you know, they could just get pressured all year long. But um, I, when, when I hear climate change, the first thing that pops into my head is is like is lakes with grass. Right. Is it going to make the, the lake with grass grow for 365 days a year when it's usually only grown for 100? I don't I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, or maybe maybe a longer growing season for the fish, you know. Uh, well, the, but the, the, the longer growing season for the fish is also kind of a double edged sword. Um, the we we dropped an episode uh at, at midnight last night with a with a terrific fisheries biologist bass biologist out of texas named stephen barden and and stephen is also the biologist for major league fishing and he's got his own private business where he he helps people manage their their private lakes and 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 grow big fish and so forth and he's got tremendous insights so i hope everybody will check that out it's the second time stephen has been on our show but a great analogy that really that he uses that really resonates with me is he says when he thinks about managing a bass, especially for maximum growth, he looks at that bass and he thinks of, of that bass as an accumulation of heartbeats. He says that bass has X number of heartbeats in his life. And if that bass is in Lake Okeechobee, that heart beats a lot faster. Boom, 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 boom. And if that bass lives in New York, that heartbeat overall is beating a lot slower. So you might have a longer growing season, but that just speeds up the heartbeat. Their life. And it shortens the life. Interesting. So it, it's a it's a yin and yang thing, and it's a double-edged sword. Uh, a giant bass, you guys who have fished deep south Florida, Okeechobee, know that a 10-pound bass is, is a giant, giant fish in Okeechobee. It ain't so big by the time you come north to Orlando, where I live. You got to be bigger than that to be a giant, giant fish in Orlando. Um, and then when, when you, by the time you creep up into Georgia, except for the fraudulent world record, that you start to see the weights dip again to be truly giant. It, it's all about, it's all about the species and the genetics, but it's also all about that, that growing season, as you say, in the habitat. So it's a mix. If you, the oldest bass that I believe anybody has ever certified uh, was from New York. I heard that. And this is a fish that, and they, what they do is I think they check what's called the otolith, which is a bone in the ear of the fish. And they have a way of counting the rings like a tree and also mm. scales on a fish have rings. But, but the otolith is apparently a, a more reliable way to, 
to age the fish. And I want to say this fish was over 20 years old. Now, that would be unheard of in Florida. But up north, New York, maybe Canada, uh, a fish that's well, well into the teens might not be so unusual, but that fish might also weigh four pounds. Hmm. Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I heard that same... Uh, I was taught, I was down um, working with the guys at the Share Lunker program. Uh, shout out to those folks, and um, they told me they were talking about the that twenty year old fish that that was from New York, and and those uh, and you probably know this answer, but the big fish, most of their Share Lunkers are eight years old, which yeah. is a thirty. 13- pound fish by the way if you're not familiar right. with that program yeah share lunker collects the 13 pounders from around the state and they try to spawn them and and spread their genetics uh share lunker i have my issues with share lunker but uh which will i won't go into because i'm trying to limit the number of people who are angry at the mass <laughs> university for having me on so we'll, we'll save that for yeah, another time you leave share lunker alone okay <laughs> we, we love those guys I think that it's an amazing, you know what, at the, at the share lunker, uh, facility, we, I saw personally a fish that, uh, we're, we're guessing at 20 pounds wow. that, that they're going to have on display. Uh, they were, it has been aquarium kept and donated to their facility and they're, uh, you know, they're going to be displaying it on, on, at their facility and they're waiting for the construction to be completed but in the meantime it's sitting and just eating its way into the 20 pound class of fish pretty pretty amazing sight it is amazing you know the very first sherlunker fish back in the 80s was a fish they named ethel and ultimately that fish wound up in uh bass pro shops in springfield i believe where it lived out the remainder of its days and i'm not sure that they ever put that fish on scales when it was at its peak but I think it was generally uh, estimated at weighing better than 20 pounds. What was the the, the bass at the at ICAST? What was that bass's name? It was like Marley or there was a really big what bass. What was that? Oh, what was the name? Yeah, it was. we love that. We love going to ICAST uh, because we, our neighbor is always a giant bass, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in the aquarium. I, what was the name? Oh, I forget. It's like Marley or some, something, something like that. Something Mabel. Ma- Mabel. I think it might, it might be. be Mabel. Mabel. Pretty, pretty yeah. amazing. It's pretty funny, too, because we'll, we're at the booth across from them all the time, and you just see Rich and P and everyone just staring at the bass the entire day. When when you can see the whites of the eye of a bass, you know, you know, then you're 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 in the presence of a very large fish. When the eye looks as big as your fist. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, there's and of course, those are the largest bass. And I, I say this to my friends in Texas and California and Louisiana and other places that have imported these fish. The largest bass are pure Florida bass. Right. Um, if you're going to grow a world record bass, it's going to be a pure Florida bass. And uh, so that's that's uh, my state's claim to fame is that that we have the genetics that all these other states have have borrowed or stolen, uh, <laughs> but we have the genetics. Now, is there is there like a process with the largest bass? Is it does it have to be a specific like large mouth, small mouth? Like, does it have to be a certain type of bass? 
a, because there's a ton of different bass. Like I know yes. Marcus was talking about the peacock bass in Brazil and saying how huge they were. Can that be part of the record breaking or well, no? They all have their record, but I'll allow Ken to answer this question because it's a black bass. You, you know, the details, what, what does it have to be? Well, uh, basically Jocelyn, when we're talking about bass, people will throw the word bass around a lot. Technically, uh, the bass that, that Pete and Riz, myself, the audience are, are interested in are, are part of what they'll call the black bass family or the micropterous genus of fish. Uh, ironically, those are not true bass. A true bass is like a striper. Um, a peacock bass is not a member of the micropterous genus, nor is it a true bass. It's just a name that, that the folks in South America called it, and so, or that North Americans called it when they went there and saw it. Uh, but, but if you're not a member of the, the black bass family, the micropterous genus, you're not a member of the, the bass family that most people are talking about when they're talking about big fish. And within that, within that micropterous genus, there are a, a great many variations. And, and the, the main authority for such a thing would be um, the uh, American Society of Fisheries, uh, I believe, or the American Fisheries Society, I'm sorry, AFS. They have a list of what they recognize, and that list is constantly evolving constantly evolving um there have been as few as maybe three or four species 50 75 years ago and there are maybe now more than a dozen and they include things like micropterus salmoidus which is the largemouth bass micropterus salmoidus floridanus which is the florida largemouth bass micropterus dolomue which is the smallmouth bass micropterus punctilatus which is the spotted bass uh micropterus punctilatus henshali which is the, you know, there are, there are now multiple species of spotted bass. There are multiple species of largemouth bass. Uh, there are Guadalupe bass. There are red-eye bass. There are shoal bass. There are Suwannee bass. You name it. Uh, they got them. And, uh, and sometimes you can't even, a, a lay person, even somebody with, with Pete's skills and experience would not be able to, truly identify a fish because the the differences are 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 more at the atomic level and the the dna level than they are something you could you could spot by the eye that's interesting that's interesting that's a great question thank you uh, <laughs> uh jocelyn and and you know of course ken is interested in the florida bass only and uh <laughs> Spreading that invasive species around the country. How old we, would, the, we want you to keep them there. How old does the Florida bass get? How, how old do bass get in Florida? Well, you know, I, that's a great question. I'm not sure. I, I don't have an answer for that. I don't have a definitive answer. But yes. I would think that in the early teens, uh, you might be able to get a Florida bass to uh, 14, 15 years old, I would think, so, probably at the outside. All right. So on average, how old is a... How old is it or how big is like a three-year-old bass? I would, I'm, this is guessing again, and, and I could, I can get you guys some great guests right. who can answer these questions far better than me. But I would say that on average, a three-year-old bass in the state of Florida, that's a pure Florida bass, weighs somewhere between two and three pounds, but he may weigh as much as five pounds. So much Riz depends on, because remember, the genetics are just part of the mix of growing a big fish. Right. The other elements are things like water quality uh, or habitat. Mm -hmm. and and forage um 
we could put we could put a pure Florida bass in a little borrow pit in a subdivision where there's not a lot to eat, there's not a lot of good cover, and and the conditions are not great, and that fish might never get bigger than half a pound. Right. Wow. Or right. we could put this a fish with the same genetics under the ideal circumstances, and in three years that fish might weigh six pounds. So the further north you get, the the the, the longer the growing process is probably going to take. Yeah, generally, of course, again, forage is a big player here. Right. If, if you can feed that fish a steady diet of, of protein, uh, you can get that fish very big, very quickly. Uh, I worked with Glenn Lau, who was the, I think, the, the greatest underwater cinematographer the fishing world has ever seen. He made the films Big Mouth and, and, uh, and Big Mouth. But anyway, Glenn, Glenn tried to grow a world record in captivity back in the 80s. And he got a fish in just a few years to 18 pounds. And that's a number that pops up a lot when you when you start to study the people who have tried to raise a world record fish. A lot of a number of people have gotten a fish to 18, but then for whatever reason, things have st seemed to stall out. Uh, in Glenn's case, what stalled it out was poaching. Uh, he got a fish to 18, and then came home one day and and looked in his <laughs> Uh, tank where he kept this fish and found that somebody had gone in there with a snagging hook and ripped the fish apart. Um, but why would they do that? Nobody has ever. Who doesn't want an eighteen-pound fish? Just to eat it. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> well, maybe, but I mean, why? Why do people? Why do people rob convenience stores and kill people for <laughs> the twenty bucks in the till? You know, because yeah. people are people are often terrible and. And, yep. and evil and and stupid so 18 pounds seems to be the limit that you can well, I, I don't want to say that because that's that's what i that's the biggest number i've heard for raising a fish in captivity although you know but, but again remember the ethyl fish uh may have been over 20 and the fish that you saw pete may be over 20 and they're taking a fish i'm, I'm talking about a fish that's raised basically from an egg to gigantic proportions what you saw at at the Texas Sherlunker facilities and what ethyl was in the Bass Pro Tank in Springfield were fish that were already were 13 pounds or better when they were captured and then grown significantly. That's a lot different. Right, right, right. Well, interesting, uh, fascinating stuff as, uh, as expected. Let me ask you this. What is there a correlation? Now, we talked a little bit about the lures and techniques, a little bit on the two bigs, but of all the biggest on the is there, can you, is it a big bait thing that are putting these? Is it a live bait? Uh, how, how are the biggest fish ever caught? Caught Senko, I'm just kidding, <laughs> Senko. black Senko, Peter, black, black Senko. Senko. Uh, no, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all over the map. It is all over the map, and I think it's all over the map for reasons that, that we don't often think about, maybe. A, for the most part, for the most part, the biggest bass ever caught are caught purely or almost purely by luck. Hmm. They are people who are, are not Pete Glusick or Rich Leadbeater's level of angling skill. So they're they are. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. They're they're jockeys. and they're not as and they're they're not often as smart as Jocelyn. So <laughs> they're they're not people who are going out there pursuing a giant fish. Yeah, occasionally you have your Dan Cadotas and your Bob Croupies and your people who are targeting these world class fish, but they are they are few and far between who catch them. So it's it's a grab bag. I mean, Dave Zimmerly caught. A twenty-pound, fifteen-ounce fish on a night crawler. Yes, uh, some of the biggest bass in California history were caught on cheese. That's so. That's cheese. so awesome. That's cheese. what he. One of your first shows was you. Uh, Terry was, calls them the cheese fish, which was the first. T- it was like a fifteen-pounder that broke the California record back well, when Florida was. They called it the cheese fish. That's that, so that's awesome. really funny. Because when I was growing up, my grandparents had a shore house and we would fish off the dock for just flou- uh, flounder and small fish. And I refused to put a bait on on the hook. So I was fishing with sour gummy worms and I caught a fish. Gummy worm fish. Sour gummy worm. That's what I had. <laughs> yeah, and now, with regard to those California cheese fish, I think in a lot of those cases, uh, they were caught by a guy who was fishing for trout using a piece of cheese. And a trout picks up the cheese, and then a bass grabs the trout. I think a lot of that was going on, but but it's so random. It's so random. I can tell you this though: um, of the guys who consistently catch giant fish, let's say ten pounds and up, I think live bait, uh, particularly in Florida, gives you a significant advantage. Interesting. Interesting. I I want to. Um... One of the cool stories of a giant fish caught in tournament uh, that I participated in uh, happened kind of similar to the cheese fish, uh, where it, it was uh, it was in Georgia, where um, where the official world record is from. Um, <laughs> the uh, well, we co- were co-world world, record, co-world record, <laughs> the co-world record. The uh, and we were at Lake Lanier. Uh, it was a Bassmaster Invitational, and one of the guys well, we, we was fishing a shaky head around the dock, and he got a bite, and he sets the hook, and he, he proceeds to reel in a 12-inch bass, and a 10-pounder wolfs the 12-inch bass, and he manages to catch it uh, with that single shaky head hook and, uh, and weigh that 10-pounder in for for Lunker in that tournament. And I, that was, and, and it counted. I mean, the, the tournament director, I guess was Dewey Kendrick at the time. And I guess that was permitted. Uh, I don't, I guess that's even debatable, but that was allowed to be weighed in as Lunker in that tournament. Oh yeah. Well, absolutely. I think that's a legitimately caught fish, you know? Um, and, and a lot of guys have uh, played that game through the years where they may be fishing with, um, with something they're not supposed to be fishing with, whether it's uh, another game fish or something, and they've got a, a strangely a little bit large hook. You know, for some reason they've got a five-aught hook hanging out of that bluegill's mouth, and uh, who knew that a bluegill could eat a cricket off a five-aught hook? But <laughs> sure enough, and then you just let that bluegill swim out there for a while until something much larger and uh, more fun bites it. Yeah. We know what's that going on. That kind of stuff there. goes on oh, a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to chime in and and say some things from the subscribers. Dan Allen said he caught his first bass on a kite string with summer sausage with a paperclip. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. 
Diggs said he caught his first bass when uh, he was seven while trout fishing. Was tired of watching a bobber, so dad put a red, white, and red, white daredevil on my rod. First yes. cast, nine pounds. Holy nine smokes pounds. on a daredevil. Jeez. That's an amazing catch. I, I caught fish on something that, Jocelyn, you'll probably find this interesting. When I was younger, I used to use soap. Bar bar ivory soap. Why? I've never heard tell of, of soap. That's a, that's a no. common catfish bait. Yeah, Is that catfish. right? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, ivory soap. No kidding. Know. No wonder I don't like catfish. Yeah. They, uh, <laughs> yeah, it um they eat soap. It it it, it was like automatic <laughs> to put a square of ivory soap on a hook and cast the it. The whole out bar? No, just just like a cut little... little cut a little hunk out of it hmm. and cast it out there and the smell it disperses and yeah. they just catfish. I'm gonna eat it. Well, and it, uh, flo- and it floats up. It floats up like a like a. Oh, you know, okay. It floats. You know, one of these uh, fancy plastics now. You know the yeah the kind of stuff the, the hyperflex or stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Guys use yeah. It floats up. <laughs> Danny Allen said, "Talk about a clean fish." <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, uh, coming coming soon to Bash University TV is Riz's ivory techniques. <laughs> uh, you know we'll be launching that next week, guys. But uh, the tell me, do you have the like we have, we catch lunkers in our tournaments. Like we're 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 tournament guys. Who who has caught the most big fish in tournament competition? Do you have that data? I have it for the elites. I don't have it uh, overall in BASS history, but I'm working on it, Pete. That's okay. one of those databases that uh, has been put on the back burner while I go after the Big Bass podcast stuff that Terry and I are doing and Nathan. But uh, I can tell you that in elite history, the anglers who have caught the most daily big fish are there are three guys who are really standouts. And they're not the guys who who necessarily get a ton of publicity for it. Everybody wants to talk about uh, big fish Bobby Lane or or Lunker Specialist Ish Monroe. But right. in fact, those guys are those guys do well and they catch their share of big fish. But the guys who have really been outstanding at it, at least in elite history, have been Kelly Jordan, Todd Faircloth, and Brandon Palinick. No kidding. Those are the guys who, who more consistently bring daily big fish and tournament big fish to the scales than anybody. And what's, what's strange about Palinick is Palinick does it in smallmouth tournaments, which is astounding because... One of, the, one of the things I look at when I'm looking at these tournament results is the ratio of a big fish to the average fish brought to the scales. And in a largemouth tournament, the big fish is typically three, four times as big as the average fish. The average fish might be two and a quarter, but the big fish is, might be eight or nine. In a smallmouth tournament, Quite often, the average fish is two and three quarter or three pounds, but the big fish is nowhere near twice as big as that. So it makes it even tougher, in my in my estimation, to catch the biggest fish of the tournament, because that the biggest fish in the smallmouth tournament is not nearly the outlier that it is in the in a largemouth tournament. But but Palinik is money in catching these bigger fish in smallmouth derbies. That's that's tremendous and. Uh... 
Riz, we need to talk more about that. Uh, we, yep. we need to look at those guys. We, 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 uh, of course we've worked with Brandon and he is really an amazing teacher and Todd Faircloth. We just, uh, um, uh, just worked with him just recently mm -hmm. and, uh, looking forward, we'll be releasing, uh, his content, uh, on fishing a stick bait, uh, not a black Sanko, but an Ocho. <laughs> well, there was some big ones. You know, one of one of my favorite stories I ever wrote when I was working for BASS is a story that went out I, that went out with a Todd Faircloth byline. That's a that's a little um, behind the scenes info for your audience. Here is that a lot of the stories that are are that have a byline saying the angler wrote them, somebody like me actually wrote them, and um, and Todd has a spectacular. Uh, method, routine, system for targeting big fish in tournaments. I hope Bass University digs into that one of these days because I think it would be really enlightening. And I think, you know, everybody in every tournament I've ever fished is looking for a kicker at some point during the day. And, and Todd Faircloth has uh, a very sophisticated plan for it. Wow, that's fascinating. We got, we got to dive in there, Rich. Yeah, we do. Right, can you give us, like, just a little, little couple hints about, about what he does or... Well, you know, it, it's it's more the way it's more of a philosophy and an approach than anything like a, a method. Although certainly Todd uh, is using specific types of baits to to target those fish. You know, jigs are obviously a, a great choice for a bigger fish. You're going to catch a, a larger fish on a jig probably on average than you would with a plastic worm. But what what fascinated me about Todd's system was uh, he goes into every tournament like we all do, saying, "Okay, it's going to take me." x pounds each day to to get a check and to and to pay the bills at home you know so once he reaches that that number he's off to the races he may make a long run to some place where he can really bump up by culling a big fish um, that's when he starts to take his chances knowing that that's going to be the difference between making a check and and getting the trophy uh, because that big fish is often the difference. Uh, just the way he does it, the discipline he has for it, the approach he takes was was uh, really enlightening to me. That is that's that's fascinating, and that's a hero or zero approach. But guys are some guys are better at it than others, and uh... but you know, it, it, and and I, I get what you're saying about the hero or zero thing. But to me, he doesn't go off on one of these you know hour long runs or or thirty minute runs. Uh, thinking he's got to go for broke. He, he waits until, if he knows he's got to have 15 pounds a day to, to make the cut, he, he doesn't do anything crazy until he's got his 15. And, and he's going to go, he's going to start wherever he can get his 15 fastest. Not, not where you yep. might have a, if, if, if he can catch five three-pounders more quickly than he can catch four four-pounders, boom, he's off for the threes. And then, and then he goes and looks for the the big kicker. Uh, and it, you should let Todd go into it because yeah. it, it's a real it's a really good system. It's really smart, and mm. and I think Todd is uh, Todd is one of the the great thinkers in the sport, and and he's a super bright guy. And I don't think he gets enough credit or recognition because he's so quiet. Yeah, exactly. He's understated. And uh, that keeps him out of the spotlight, but he is a killer, and he is one big and often 
uh, and we're th we're thrilled to be working with him. Uh, he's been in the Bass University classroom. We and he was he's notorious for being an amazing grass angler, yeah. and uh, and we have uh, Todd teaching about that. Go over to Bass University, guys, and check that out anytime because grass season is is upon us. But uh, but now that's that's terrific, and and uh, and we'll be releasing his stuff real soon. But the stories on the Big Bass podcast are what I I love that I I I've listened to I, as many as I can. But I just recently I heard some of the I heard the devastating Shaw Grigsby tale, uh, which uh, which is I think is really cool that you're you're telling uh, you're telling the stories because they're so much fun. Um, and uh, and Shaw's story about losing a losing a key fish that cost them the Angler of the Year title, which was rough. What uh, what what do you, what do we have coming? What what are some of the stories that people can listen to now, and what's coming? Well, just today we dropped one with uh, Stephen Barden, as I mentioned earlier, Pete. And Stephen is this uh, incredibly talented and knowledgeable uh, bass fishing bio bass biologist who also is an avid angler. Uh, he's going to tell you some. He told us in some in an earlier episode, and also in this episode about the bass's predilection for eating crawfish. Uh, one thing that shocked me is that if given a choice between a panfish as, as prey, as forage, and a crawfish, a largemouth bass is somewhere between 9 and 22 times more likely to choose the crawfish. Wow. Even though the crawfish offers less protein, less nutritional value, and is harder to digest because of the exoskeleton, they're still dramatically more likely to go for that crawfish. And I thought that was mind blowing. Uh, here just in, uh, tomorrow night, we're gonna be recording uh, the first of what are gonna be at least three episodes on the world record smallmouth bass caught by David Hayes in 1955. Uh, and that, that episode is not only gonna include a lot of our commentary, obviously, about that fish and what it's meant to the sport and how it was caught and so forth, but it's also gonna contain a lot of footage of David Hayes telling his own story that I captured back about uh, 15 or 20 years ago. Excellent. Well, I, I can't wait. I, I love them. Um, you know, we, we've heard uh, uh, so many of them over the years and I've witnessed some amazing fish catches. And uh, I, I, th I, I told you about the, the Kevin Van Dam has one of the, the most amazing fish loss, uh, stories of all time when i fished with him uh in down at lake ufala where he brought the the biggest fish i had ever seen when i was just a rookie and he he was he was forcing me to try to land the fish for him uh <laughs> before before he had nets i'm like kevin i've never seen a fish this big man i'm from the northeast you know a six pounder you know we we call our mother and you know that's a big fish for us and uh, he brought uh, what I would guess to be a 10-pounder to the boat three times. And uh, on the third time, he's like, Pete, here she comes. And and that big crankbait comes flying right past my head as I'm down there trying to <laughs> gather this fish for Kevin. And and uh, and that, that fish was gone. And we never – we never – I was never even I, close enough to touch it. And, uh, and Kevin, uh, his demeanor, which was the most monumental, he – without skipping a beat you know checked his line checked his hooks and went back to fishing uh didn't didn't uh 
didn't cuss at me or uh, or break any gear or uh, lo- just lose a step, but he just stayed 100% focused and white went right back to his job. And I, I thought uh, that that was that that was the biggest fish I think I had ever seen. Uh, probably still have ever seen. I'm surprised uh, you're still alive. Still surprised. It, you think you think he, he might have drowned the Yankee? Get yeah. you know. Well, he was <laughs> one too. You know, I've I've never seen anybody with Kevin's mental toughness in the game. Yeah. You know, in the middle of competition, I've never. I've 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 seen video of him losing a fish. You know, the the bait pops out, and he uses the the momentum of the bait popping out to load his rod to make the next cast. What? Yeah. Who else can do that? Yeah. Just, Nobody just, else I've ever seen. Yep. And, and I've heard and, um, you know, try to focus on, on, all right, I was able to get that bite. I was able to trigger that bite from a big fish, so I'll be able to do it again. And you just go right back to it and, and right back at it. Hard to do. Yeah. It's really hard to do. I've oh. lost uh, where I'm headed to Kerr Reservoir. Uh, I, uh, this, this is not a place that's known for 10 pounders. And, um, I lost, uh, probably my own personal, uh, tournament best fish on Kerr Reservoir a few years back on a, on a little shaky head. And she jumped completely out of the water to let me know exactly how big and mm-hmm. long she was as she threw my, my little shaky head right back at me, uh, but I, I love the I love listening to the stories and I'm I'm really looking forward to to uh, the, you know the podcast as it continues and what you're going to bring to us. Well, thank you, Pete. And I appreciate your mention. The we did an episode called "The One That Got Away," and I, I just want to give a little background on that. Sorry to keep you, but uh, a little background. Terry, my my on screen partner, Terry Batisti, he he had his his real job took him away uh, to Australia for. 10 days or something. So he wasn't going to be able to record. And, and I really wanted to rub it in and make him feel a little <laughs> bit guilty, a little bit bad about that. So I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I am going to, I, I, I think stories about big fish that got away uh, and big means important as well as large stories about big fish that got away are just as fascinating sometimes as the ones that we catch. And so I decided to pull out some stops and bring in some real star power. So, uh, so for that episode, we got uh, Shaw Grigsby, who you mentioned. We got Skeet Reese. We got Jeff Gustafson, who had who had won the Bassmaster Classic less than a week before. And we got Bill Dance. So, uh, wow. uh, when I told Terry what I was doing, he sent me a uh, <laughs> a one word response, which I will not repeat on your show. <laughs> uh, he's, he's pissed. He's he was, he was not happy with me. The no. trivia question is, what was the word he used? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your your best guess. That's, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, well, Ken, man, thanks for hanging out with. It's all it's so much fun to have you with us, and I'm sure I'm going to have to call you in uh, to pinch hit for me as as our host from time to time. I appreciate you doing that for for us in the past. Oh. And, uh, Look Pete, forward to my, having you on again. It's it's my pleasure. Anytime I get to hang out with you or Riz or Jocelyn or uh, GDP or anybody, it's always it's always such a good time. You guys are the best, and and I love you all. And uh, anything I can do to help you, you just gotta let me know. Well, check it out. It's the Big Bass Podcast uh, on YouTube, uh, as well as wherever you may get your podcast. Um, 
and in audio format. I know a lot of people love listening to that. And and uh, thanks for everything you do for us for the sport of fishing, Ken. You're the absolute best. We love you too, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you. I I think I will be face to face with you in July. I think at at the at the next yes. time, if not before then, and uh, look forward to seeing you at ICAST and okay. wishing you and Terry all the best with the podcast. Thank you so much, Pete. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys, too, and uh, y'all take care. All right. Bye. Ken Duke, everybody. Thank you, Ken. That was amazing. What What a – I mean, there's so much controversy going on with all these yeah. big fish. And, uh, you know, every single one of them, when you listen to the podcast, you figure out, well, you know, but there was this. Like, even the Japanese fish was caught with a bluegill. Is that, right, right. you know, you can't use them in some states and some places, but you can in others. Yeah, the message Should board was saying that was cheating. Yeah. Um, using ivory soap, you know, <laughs> gummy worms. <laughs> but that's usually when, like, every single time trout season around here, which they stock our lakes with trout. Every time I went, and I went every opening day of trout forever when I was a kid, there would be somebody trout fishing on the bank using a worm, using cheese or, or whatever it was, and they would you see all these trout coming in that were stocked, and then they would have an eight-pound bass. Wow. It happened every single spring. Right. And that's how a lot of those, like Ken's saying, a lot of those big ones are caught by just people just doodling Fishing from the bank. Fishing from the bank, folding, getting a folding chair, yep. putting a rod up on the rod holder, just watching the day pass. Letting you know, the night crawler just drown all around, and there it is. <laughs> Sounds so fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's very relaxing. That's what most. But see, that's oh, what I don't most, have patience. I don't. Yeah. I, I can't. <laughs> most, most people that think about fishing, that's like when we tell people you come home from a tournament, and you're like, I'm exhausted, and they're like. You were fishing all day. <laughs> you were just sitting there in a right. chair watching your bobber. You know, fact. How could you be tired? You're mentally drained too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, the way we fish is uh, slightly different than slightly. that, mm -hmm. and uh, pretty high intensity. But uh, it's funny, but, actually, just on that topic. So it's getting to be that time of year. My left forearm right now is significantly like. <laughs> like it's like swollen almost from throwing <laughs> chatterbait so much and ripping the grass. Uh, I was oh. looking at my arm. I'm like, uh, a left forearm. It's like ridiculous. <laughs> Rich is going to be walking around uh, like heavy on side. <laughs> I've, I've, I got to get on a Gatorade regimen, some bananas, something. I'm going to be cramping up. Yep. Yep. We, I, I've seen it in action. I watched, I watched you uh, work that chatterbait relentlessly for about four hours. That was impressive. And uh, good stuff, but the, but catching the one, <laughs> it's interesting. I want to dive in. I want Faircloth. I want Palnick. Yes. And who was the Kelly third? Jordan? Kelly Jordan. I want to. I want to. Um, I I want to dive into their mentalities about how they're they're catching those big ones and then bring that bring that instruction to Bash University. And it's really it's really interesting to be able to catch those big fish consistently in tournaments. It's really hard to do. Who was the guy that we had on our Bash U live show that was consistently catching record breaking bass in Texas? Josh Jones. Josh yeah. Jones. Yeah. That that, you know, doing something completely different and forward facing sonar, we didn't really dive in. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but how is forward facing sonar going to affect yeah. the chase sure. for uh for the next for the next world record?
Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how that all turns out. Guys, if you're watching over on social, like and share the feed. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to come back. We're going to give away a prize for the like and share contest as well as trivia. I, a trivia. I hope you're paying attention because we're going to ask you a really tough question, and we've got a grand prize for that. So uh, hang in there with us. We'll be right back after this. What's going on? It's Riz here from the Bash University, and I am excited to welcome in Waterwood Custom Baits to the Bashu family. These are custom handmade baits in the South Rainforest of Brazil. They're made of Marupa Pedra wood. It's extremely dense, it's resistant, but it's also really buoyant. They're made of quality components with a 100% guarantee. They're made for tournament anglers to get it done when the money is on the line. Guys, that was like my second cast with this bait. That's a Waterwood custom bait. These things are handmade in the rainforest south of Brazil. And I mean, as you can see right here, it's a fish catching bait. It's got the front hook. That means they wanted it. This bait's, uh, it's running really true. It throws really well. Guys, check them out at waterwoodcustombaits.com. underwater viewing technology. Find what you are looking for. Catch more fish. Have more fun. Aquaview. Seeing is believing. Why do you love catching fish and rods? I'm truly losing less fish. Is the sensitivity of the rod. That they're made right here in North Carolina in the USA. Strongest, lightest rod. 100% made here in Sanford, North Carolina. From the drop shot rod to the flipping stick. Every rod has a purpose to it, and I rely on them all the time when I'm out during a tournament. Durability in the John Cruz Worming Series, the counterbalancing in the handle. It's the only rod i found that can withstand my hooks that boom goes the dynamite. On the water, not spent fishing is a moment wasted. That's why Minkota and Humminbird have joined forces to bring you the One Boat Network. Products that communicate and integrate to help you take full command of your boat. Born from our commitment to making the most advanced fishing gear even better by making it work together. The One Boat Network will help you find, get to, stay on, and catch more fish. When One Boat Network products talk to each other, they can navigate your boat automatically. They can give you a crystal clear view of what's below with no messy wires. And they can let you lower, raise, and change shallow water anchor modes from anywhere on the boat. But that's just the beginning. We're never done innovating, integrating, and making your boat simpler and easier to control. All so you can make every second on the water count. Welcome back to Bash You Live. Uh, guys, 
we are with epoch batteries and i want to uh these are lithium batteries they have the industry leading 11 year warranty what i want to say is they are killer uh i have a 36 volt 100 amp hour battery that i'm using for my trolling motor and rich never took his foot off the power <laughs> button uh <laughs> when he was when he was operating the boat for the, probably the first half of the day when we fished this weekend and uh just pushing you know pushing the battery to its limit and when after a full tournament day uh probably a nine hour day uh we burned 30 percent of the battery's capacity uh just an incredibly um efficient and just going to be there forever. I think we, I think we probably could have fished three days straight before yep. we tapped into the capacity of that battery. So yep. uh, check them out guys. We have uh, 10% off epoch batteries. Yeah. Uh, if you're a subscriber to bash you, so get over there and check that out. Our, at your our subscriber, member our subscriber St. Crest said using my epoch battery that I won from the trivia question on here and it's performing great for me. Thank you guys. I'm glad awesome. to hear that our members have them and, Keep getting them. Uh, excellent. And and I want to also, we love Cortland line, Cortland braided line. I used it in the tournament. How about it, Riz? On the spinning rod. Yep. We were we were in current. We were in wind. That was key. Uh, and strike detection was virtually impossible. But with the high-vis 10-pound test master braid, a high-vis yellow, uh, you could see those smallmouth uh, picking that bait up. And of course, you know, when it come time to set the hook with the, with the braid, you just, you're directly connected to the fish. So we, we had zero misses, man. Yeah. We were, we were hundred percent strike to catch and uh, caught some, caught some nice bass on Cortland braided line. If you haven't tried it yet, um, get after it. They have a, a braided line called silent flip. If you're somebody that likes to pitch and flip into the heavy cover, uh, the, it's, it's quieter. It's a 16 strand braid that, is just quieter it lays flat it doesn't make as much noise on the habitat or coming out of your reel and it's going to allow you to be a little bit more stealthy and get a few more bites so go ahead and check out Cortland braided line and um we've got a few things giveaway what do yeah. you have some somebody said something nice oh, about me yes oh, we can't forget that well we can't no <laughs> somebody complimented me we need to hear that job subscriber st crest <laughs> said pete your most recent video about the six baits for the spawn was great you're a great teacher thank you oh well thank you i appreciate that compliment very much and we're coming into that season in our neck of the woods uh it's just getting cranked up uh further north of here you're still uh, about a month away so the spawn, the spawn is on. It's even on down at Lake like Murray, that. where the guys were just fishing in South Carolina. Still happening. Uh, even in the South, that spawn goes on for a, a lot longer. So um, so let's give away some prizes. Let's do it. Um, well, do you want to ask the trivia question? And while you're doing that, I will do the randomizer for the like and share. Rich, you're in charge. Yeah. Um, the trivia question for today's show um, is going to be a big bass trivia question. and. The question is, what state has the oldest smallmouth bass record? What state has the oldest smallmouth bass record? Interesting. In other words, it has the longest standing. Longest standing. What state has the longest standing smallmouth bass record? Interesting. Interesting. Only from the brain of Ken Duke. Only from the brain of Ken Duke. <laughs> <laughs> and this is your last chance because we're about to give away a, a like and share. 
uh, contest. You're watching it on social. Make sure you click click that button. If you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you click that subscribe button uh, so you know when we're going to be live, which is yeah. every Tuesday at eleven o'clock. We're going to be we're going to be live next Tuesday. I will be at the Bassmaster Open, and I will be. Um, calling in trying not to cry too bad about how tough the fishing conditions are uh try not to whine too much but i i think it should be good uh i don't know i haven't been to kerr reservoir or bugs island like a lot of the locals call it for for quite a few years but i love it there and uh it's got it's it's great fishery and it's got blueback herring in it we're gonna we're gonna see how it goes. So we'll be back next Tuesday. Do you have your swimmies that. packed? My swimmies. I we need... kept them in the boat all day. Sunday, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> almost lost them a couple. Times. Almost, no, almost a couple times. A couple, a couple. Well, it was tough, you know. I mean, I was on the trolling motor. The boat Please. wakes coming. The yeah. that hard wind started blowing on us, and <laughs> we had wave action. We were hitting rocks, and I stayed in the boat. Very, very proud impressed. of you. I was Still proud of myself. I haven't seen a correct answer yet. This one's this one's stumping them a little bit. And go Ken Duke, guys. Um, don't forget we 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 got some awesome awesome stuff getting released to Bashu TV as always. Uh, this week you can you can expect to see an awesome classroom seminar from Alton Jones. Um, it's about super bass highways. Um, I, I love this seminar. It's all about their travel patterns, their migration routes, and where they're going, where they're coming from, and where you can find them. Um, and then also next week, stay tuned. We got the Greg Hackney Shallow Water Big Three coming out. That's an on-water demonstration with the man, Hack Attack, um, doing what he does, fishing shallow water, flipping and pitching a bait, uh, swimming a jig, and and throwing a topwater frog. That one's going to be a really, really good one. Te teach and and. and uh one of our best teachers, I yep. got to say, we hear this often about Greg Hackney. He just he's a he's a pure natural at what he does, and he's teaching about how the three biggest, most important shallow water techniques that he uses, and he's teaching us how to do it. Uh, must watch TV. Absolutely. And um, the following week, um, we're releasing our boy who just won um, out there on the Elite Series. Drew Benton is going to be talking about. Uh, how to put your bait in hard to reach places. That's the teaser that we opened up the show with. So stay tuned for that as well. As always, we got awesome content coming your way. Uh, just continuing to pump out the info. And we have a winner finally. What? Of the, Nobody got that question. Of the trivia question. <laughs> and wait, wait a minute. I, I, I think there's controversy behind this as there are in all big fish records. <laughs> I don't know. These, these, somehow there must be something. Nobody could know the answer to that question. Lee C with the correct answer of Minnesota. Minnesota. Minnesota, Minnesota. has Minnesota. the longest standing, the, the oldest smallmouth bass record, the longest standing Minnesota in 1948. Does, does does he have the weight? The weight? No, just the just the what well, is the oldest smallmouth bass I'm gonna record? What state? What I'm, state I'm, holds the oldest record? I'm guessing seven pounds in seven pound range. Um, we well, also have a like and share winner. Congratulations, Jeff Grope. You won our like and share. Congratulations, Jeff and Lee C. Lucy. for uh for getting that amazing answer to that amazing and thank you again mr duke and don't forget guys go check out the big bass podcast uh really fun uh really fun stuff to talk about the 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 world's biggest bass uh and all the 
ramification, smallmouth and tournament, the whole bit. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, what do you got? It's just funny because everyone was guessing, trying to guess where, what state it was. So Nick Mayberry said the next trivia question should be what states didn't get listed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was going to be Florida because Ken has, there's a big controversy about a smallmouth that was weighed in for a, a, a Florida state record smallmouth. They don't have that smallmouth. It was, I think that was in the fifties. Is that right? Yep. Mm. If I remember correctly. I thought I thought I, that was going to be my guess. It would have been wrong. We're going to be back. Scott Van Leer says, hey, Pete, hope to run into you down here at Bugs Island. Awesome. Hope to run into you, too. By the way, uh, who's in the co-angler division? And uh, I'm, I'm looking for a practice partner. I want a Bash U subscriber to be with me. So if you're if you're entered in that tournament in the co-angler division, uh, how can they get in touch with us? Send an email to the dean's office, at and the, I'll make sure to get send it. an email to the dean's office at thebashuniversity.com, and uh, I'd like to I'd like to go fishing with one of our subscribers in the co-angler division. Uh, I'll be getting down there on Friday. So, uh, guys, we'll see you next Tuesday. Thanks for watching, Pete Gluzak for the Bash University. Have a great day.